Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 187 of The iFreak Show. Today on our show, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. I'm James Zuber from Minneapolis. So we don't have a guest today, just going to be Andrew and us, Andrew and I talking, and we're going to talk about a little bit about uh, helping newcomers into developing, giving back. Um, part of this sparked up because Andrew started a new job. Uh, he was a developer, like many of our listeners, full-time, but uh, he definitely he de- had recently uh, started, took a job as a, an instructor. Uh, Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I um, I start actually about two years ago. I started teaching uh, at a at an iOS development boot camp here in Salt Lake. Just just once a week. It was actually just two hours a week. Um, I did it for fun and and you know because I enjoyed it and uh, and you know a little extra money is nice, but mostly it was just because it was a fun thing to do and I enjoyed getting to work with new people that were learning and teach them things and and see them learn and see them get excited and then. Six months ago, uh, the opportunity to join full time and um, sort of take over running the whole course presented itself, and I decided to do it, uh, even though it meant not being a, a full time developer anymore. So I've been there, yeah, six months now, and um, it's been it's been a big change, but it's been a good one. So how is your day to day work different? Well, I, my day-to-day work before was a lot like many developers where you uh, wake up and ideally spend as much as possible of the day writing code. And then, you know, of course, there's some time for meetings and whatever else. But uh, hopefully you get to focus on, on the tasks at hand, fixing bugs, writing features, writing tests, etc. cetera. Uh, my day now is a lot more varied. I um, spend quite a bit of time working with students uh, directly helping them with questions, working on projects with them. Uh, I teach lessons. I don't. I'm not the only person there teaching, so I, I'm not, you know, teaching in front of a classroom every day. But I do that quite often. Um, I'm also responsible for managing mentors, uh, and I guess sort of the the most technical part of my job is writing the curriculum for the course. So that's where I still get to to write code, but it's a really different sort of perspective. I'm not, you know, I'm not writing it. I'm not working on a big app for a company. I'm working on projects that are meant to to be part of a curriculum that teaches people and your, your focus and sort of your thought process and the thinking about design that goes into that is very different than if you're just trying to get something, you know, working and written well. So how are things different? So, I mean, most days I go to work and I'm trying to develop some software and make it make the patterns good, make sure it's something that can scale, that someone else can look to, look at and understand what I'm doing in six months if I'm not on the project. But writing code for beginners, how is that different? Well, so some some of the some of the things that you want to do are exactly the same. Of course, you want to write code that's that's easy to understand, uh, may, maybe even more so, um, and you want code that's going to maybe not scale well because the stuff I am writing for curriculum tends to be smaller projects. You know, these are things that students might spend a week working on and and not a year. Uh, So they can't be huge, but these are beginners and they're learning, they're learning sort of the the blueprint for the code that they're going to write for the, for the rest of their career, basically from what they're seeing in these projects. And so it's really important to me to, to, um, 
basically cultivate good habits. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm try to, I try to be very conscious of my code and think if a beginner's looking at this, they're going to think, they're going to assume that this is the right way to do things. I better make sure that it's actually a good way to do things so they don't pick up bad habits right at the beginning. Um, and then, of course, one difficulty is that if I'm if I'm writing a project that, say, st students are expected to spend five days on, um, each day that they're working on it should should correlate with the content they've learned in lessons that day. So it's it's sort of weird to write code knowing that somebody's going to go through it day by day and each part that they build should have, you know, features or use APIs that are relevant to the lesson that they learned that day and build upon stuff that they've had before. You can't just sort of be willy-nilly about, um, you know, the, the, the app you're writing and how it's set up. It needs to be sort of structured in a way that it introduces people and guides them through the project in a way that's conducive to their learning. So that's an interesting approach. Now, I've tried doing similar things like this, like iterating through an app during like a presentation, and I always have trouble with it. I'll get one thing, I think that's enough, then I'll get to my third or fourth example, and I have to change something at the first example, and like go back and redo it. Are you doing a lot of stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. So um, I, I think the only way to do a good job of this is to get feedback you know, early and often and to... And to continue trying to refine things so in fact today i just started on a uh, a new project that's meant to replace a project that's um, in part of our curriculum because i've gotten feedback from students that have gone through it and i think there is a better way to sort of introduce the concepts that it covers you know in a better order and, and right now it's kind of hard to do even the beginning of the project until you get to the lessons that are covered near the end and um, so I'm sort of rethinking how, how it's going to going to be structured so that they can go through day by day. And of course, I want, you know, at the end of the first day, I want something working because students will get discouraged if they've got to code for three days before the app even runs and does anything. Um, Welcome so, to programming, kid. Yeah, exactly. Right. I had a I actually had a student yesterday who was trying to fix a bug where he had two UI gesture recognizers that were conflicting with each other and he wasn't he, he wasn't quite sure what was going on and he didn't know that it was two gesture recognizers conflicting with each other but uh, he probably spent you know two hours on it and he fixed it and he got really excited and he said man I was working on that forever and I couldn't help but laugh because I thought two hours is not too bad to find and fix something I've certainly spent a lot more time than that but um, but anyway I've yeah spent, I've, sp I've spent days fixing a typo oh absolutely I've spent it, days it and happens. days and then you it's a facepalm moment and you realize that it was nothing i mean that actually that's pretty common right where the, the the problem is simple but finding it is not anyway we i don't you know during curriculum i don't want students to get frustrated uh more than is necessary you know you want them to have to stretch themselves a little bit to learn but there's a, a point where frustration just means that they lose motivation or are not actually learning so when you're so when you're doing this, actually teaching, are you using a different part of your skill set? I mean, was this something that you thought you might be doing uh, when you were developing? Oh no, not at all. I had no, uh, I had no aspirations to teach, and I, I don't think that I thought I would be good at it. To be honest with you, and, and, and when I got asked to do it and started doing it, I was having fun doing it, and um, I, I think I, I certainly started, you know trying to improve and trying to be good at it. But uh, 
it was only after people seemed to actually like what I was doing and I got good feedback from students and uh, you know they they seemed to like the way I taught that I that I realized I might actually be good at it but cer certainly you're you're exercising different parts of your brain and using uh, different skills than when you're writing code because it's very much a um, just a human communication kind of thing right you're not coding is telling a computer what to do and as we all like to say computers do exactly what you tell them teaching is trying to impart really complex concepts to humans using you know imperfect ambiguous language and uh, it's it can be a real challenge and it can actually be frustrating I mean if they're if I'm trying to explain a concept that you know, is, is somewhat complex, but that I understand well and have known for a long time. And somebody's just really having a hard time getting it. It's, it's hard not to be frustrated by, uh, by their inability to understand what I'm trying to convey. And, and, you know, usually it's actually because I'm not conveying it well. Right. But you, you have to be humble enough to realize that it's not, it's not necessarily the learner's fault if they're having a hard time. It just as easily could be your fault as a teacher. But I will say the satisfaction, you know, you, you, you're trying to teach something difficult and somebody's struggling with it and then it clicks and sort of uh, with, with the learner, you come to a point where they understand what you're, what you're trying to teach. And, and especially when it's something that opens up possibilities to them, and, um, that's a really fun feeling, you know. I get to see people who start from the beginning. They, they have no programming experience at all and by the time they're done with the course we teach. They've got apps on the app store and they feel like they can do, they feel like the possibilities are, are, you know, vast for, for things that they can now create. That's pretty fun to see. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I've done teaching, I've been teaching kids to program over the past few years and, you know, you start off with really basic stuff and it's really cool to see them put different things together. I'm like, okay, I can do this. Now can I do these other things with it? And, help them along with that and get them, see them get excited about programming and kind of take a concept and run with it. So it's really, really cool, cool, cool experience. I try to really emphasize when, when I'm um, talking, especially to new students, but when I'm talking to students at all, that programming is, despite its reputation as this sort of nerdy thing that you just are dealing with computers all day it's actually a really creative pursuit and when that sort of clicks with them and they realize that these things they're learning that seems so you know rules based and picky and you get compiler errors if you do things wrong you know once you sort of get over that hump and realize that these are actually tools that allow you to be really creative about solving problems and creating things that nobody's created before uh they they people get re really excited at least the ones who i think are are cut out for programming who are you know right for the job they get really excited and and then oftentimes they go on to do really cool things that i never would have thought of no i think it's a good it's good that you said that you didn't think of yourself as a teacher while you're a developer because i think a lot of people are listening saying you know i just write code i'm terrified to get in front of a group to talk even if it's a bunch of beginners or a bunch of kids. I think public speaking is something most of us don't have that much experience with. Uh, in high school, if you didn't want to take speech, I didn't have to take it. I didn't take it. So I didn't have much experience with it. But it's something that can be learned, just like programming. There's, It's not something that someone's born being an excellent speaker. Most people that are have done a lot of work at it. And some people are ahead of it, but... I'm definitely not a natural speaker. I, I started getting in front of people, you know, 
six, seven years ago at, at Toastmasters group. And the first time I got up in front of anyone, I was like clutching the podium, just sweating, doing like something really simple presentation. So this type of thing, if even if you don't think you're a natural speaker, you may not be, but you can still work at it and do a pretty good job and you can teach things because everyone has something they can teach, some part of their story that someone else will find interesting. So even if you're talking to a Cocoa Heads meetup, you know, you don't have to be a full-time teacher or speaking at a big conference, you know, you know your local meetup could use a, use a hand of just could use the knowledge that you have. I think that's a really great point. I think public speaking is like any other skill, something that you can get better at with, with practice and learning and getting help from other people. Um, and I can completely relate to what you were just saying. I started, I basically started speaking publicly fairly often when the Cocoa Heads group that I'm informed six or so years ago. Uh, and I, I present there probably, you know, overall over the lifetime of the group, I probably present about every three months or so. And just getting used to being up in front of a bunch of really smart people, teaching them something when I sometimes don't feel like I'm the one, you know, the, the one that maybe even knows the most about the thing in the room, um, uh, has made me feel a lot more confident and comfortable in front of people. And my experience has been that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if we ever really know what we're nervous about, right? We're nervous that people are going to think that we did a bad job or that we're, that we're dumb or something. But uh, my experience has been that at least the community here is incredibly supportive. So nobody's up there. Nobody's in the audience trying to catch you in a mistake or trying to laugh at you because you said something wrong. They're glad you're up there teaching them something that they didn't already know. And they want you to succeed. And they want you to do well. And they're giving you the benefit of the doubt. So I certainly encourage you know, anybody, even if you're a brand new developer, uh, a really good way to learn and to get better at what you're doing is to learn how to teach it to someone else. And, and Cocoa Heads or similar groups is, I think can be a really good way to do that. We actually, that's a good point. You know, you're not, you're not going to be the smartest person in the room and you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. At my first talk at Altconf, I'm starting to talk about Cocoa Pods and I know right when right, I noticed Orta Thoreau's in the third row, right in front of me, like the Cocoa Pods guy. So that's a little bit, a little bit intimidating, but it's fine. That wasn't the basis of my talk. I was most of what I was talking about was something else, like developing with Swift, and most people were very receptive to it. And overall, like you said, people are going to be receptive. Uh, there's there's going to be very small percentage of the angry nerds that just want to hate on things. Um, that's that's their thing, but you don't have to worry about them. No. Yeah, uh, one of the truisms I heard from my friend Mike Benkovich, who was a Microsoft evangelist in a past life, and he was one of the leaders of the Toastmasters group I was in. He's like, you know, technical talking, technical speaking is hard because some of the people have barely just heard about what you're talking about, and right next to them is going to be the person that wrote the book yeah. on the subject you're talking about. So you're always going to be somewhere in the middle. But don't, you know, don't worry about it. Get in there, do it. No one's that worried about it. So we actually, at our, at our Cocoa Heads meetup in Salt Lake last night, we had a, uh, the, our presenter was actually one of my students. And he has been programming since he started at Dev Mountain, and, which was about five weeks ago. So, you know, he's got less than two months of programming experience. This is the second Cocoa Heads he's ever been to. And he did a presentation on server-side Swift with Vapor. Uh, which is not something we cover in the course. So this is something he learned on his own. And he did he did just an excellent job of it. I was really impressed. And I was 
I was glad to see somebody get up and uh, and present something that they had learned, even though he's brand new, right? And he he certainly doesn't know everything. He he's started five weeks ago learning Swift, and um, it was a good example. You know, I I, I hope uh, I hope more developers will will be like that because I learned a lot of stuff from him. You know, day uh, uh, during during the day uh, I I teach him, and then he taught me a bunch of new cool stuff last night. Yeah, that just goes to to support the point. Like, someone's going to be interested. In, if you think it's cool, someone else is going to think it's cool too. Yep. So you don't have to be the the greatest expert that ever lived to get up there. And even if you're a little intimidated by your Cocoa Heads group or a meetup, you could have a lunch and learn at your company. You know, you'll impress your boss. You'll help uh, educate your coworkers. So if, if you're doing something cool on the side, you want to talk about it. I'll spend a half hour talking about people over your lunch. You know, your company might buy a lunch for it. So you never know. That's a good idea. Um, so you you mentioned that you've been you've done some work with kids, teaching kids about programming. How did how did you get into that? So I had gotten to a point in my consulting where I could dial back the hours a little bit. I wasn't trying to bill forty hours and you know find work on top of that. That was a pretty draining process. So I got to the point where I, I wanted to kind of get my rate up, uh, dial back the hours to something reasonable where I could do some work, do some business development, and check out for the day and do something else. And I wanted to uh, work with kids. Uh, specifically, I wanted to work with kids from underrepresented backgrounds. Um, and there's a organization, Code Savvy, which was starting up the code clubs in North Minneapolis. So I I drive up there and you know teach these kids who you know may not have an uncle like me that is telling them about programming that's it's a career it's it's something that may not they may not be exposed to and i just wanted to help uh, kids like that out what have you sort of gotten out of doing that you know what has that meant to you well it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun to see kids sit down and see their eyes get wide when they see what they can do and primarily what we're doing is scratch development that's for these these kids you know fourth to sixth grade so we're not doing a lot of command line type things. They can drag things on there, but we can also teach the basic concepts of you know motion, coordinates, loops, you know sound, and things like that. So you can go over basic development concepts, and it's really cool to watch some of the kids just get it. You know, they look at them, this is so cool, and they what we tried to do we get a real simple thing that if they're motivated, they can crank out in 10, 20 minutes and then let them iterate on it, let them try something else and just watching them make games out of something or make more elaborate presentations. So that's the part that's really rewarding, seeing these kids really take the ball and run with it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to, um, I'm trying to th sort of trying to think how to articulate this, but I think most programmers, especially those who started out like like I think a lot of us did, programming as a, as a hobby before it was really our profession. I know that's not everybody, but for, for quite a few programmers, they were doing it before it was their job. Uh, and a lot of, of why they did that is because of this sort of thrill and satisfaction you get out of building something, out of taking this complex problem and breaking it down and designing a system and then having the whole thing work. Um, and for me, teaching gives me sort of the same kind of satisfaction, right? I'm not telling a computer what to do by writing a program, but I am I am sort of transferring knowledge to, to somebody and then seeing what they do with it. And, and they end up doing really cool things and they end up personally being really excited and happy and sort of sharing the, sharing a love for the same things that I, that I love. And I don't know, it's, it's, it, there's a, there's a, just a, a good feeling and satisfaction that comes along with doing that. Yeah, definitely. And you know, this is an industry that needs help. We need more developers. 
there are not enough developers to fill all the jobs that are out there, you know, and being able to build things, build software that helps everyone, you know, that, that runs the economy. So it's, you know, it's a rising, rising tide that lifts all ships, you know, getting more people into the job market and that helps everyone. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen this uh, attitude out there, but I certainly hope there's not an attitude among most developers that if they help somebody else, they're somehow, you know, helping their competition or whatever. Because I don't think that's really how it works. You know, if you're, if you're a, a good, experienced developer and um, have knowledge that you can teach other people, you're not likely to hurt your own chances in, you know, in the industry by doing that. Rather, I think you're much likelier to help them because you end up with a bunch of people who who like you and are grateful to you for, for the help that you've given them. And, and uh, you know, I, I think you end up in a better position. I certainly know that I, I feel like I know and have a lot of opportunity open to me because I know so many people from the local community that, you know, I've spent time with learning from and, and teaching, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. I think at least the industry we're in, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not, there's, not a finite, there's not a finite amount of jobs or projects that need working on, you know, if, if you do it, if you get a job and do a great and nail it, the next year there's three or four jobs, you know, in the, in the same company. That's that's how it works, and demand's good enough where, yeah, it's it, it makes sense to, to help people. It's not not even that altruistic because you get a lot of benefits back from it, just from meeting people and doing stuff like that. So I just by sharing your expertise, I think you get a lot of benefits from it. So it's not. It's not purely altruism. No, I even I, though it does, it does it does help people. Right. I think there's one there's one book I haven't read, but someone told me about it. It's like blue water versus red water, and red water is like the sharks are just going after just whatever baits are there. And blue water, it's all wide open. And our industry is definitely blue water. You know, we're not fighting over every little piece of revenue or jobs or projects. You know, it's, it's wide open, and if you do a good job, you create more jobs. That's just how it works. Yeah, so uh, I, there's there's something you've done along these lines that I've never done. Well, I've sort of done it. I guess at a local level I've done it, but um, that I'm interested in hearing a little bit about from you, and that is that is speaking at conferences. So this goes a little bit beyond doing a presentation at your local Cocoa Heads uh, and has always seemed a little bit more intimidating to me, but I know you've spoken at conferences. How did you how did you get into that? Sure. So I, I got started as public, public speaking uh, through my local Toastmasters group uh, called Techmasters. And it was started by a developer, a Microsoft evangelist, Mike Benkovich, who I mentioned earlier. And I was a, just an employee going to work, writing code, going home till about 2009 when they told me I can't come to work anymore. I got laid off with quite a lot of other people around that time. And I knew one of the holes in my career and my work was just my ability to communicate to to communicate the concepts that I knew because I, I would read a blog, I would understand the concept, I would understand how to improve the software that we were writing, but I'd get in a meeting and I just wouldn't be able to communicate it and no one listened to me. So I knew that was kind of a hole in my game. So I I had talked with a friend who had done Toastmasters and like, well, I'm going to check it out. There's one for developers and I was not working at the time, so I could I could make, make the meeting. It was close to my house. And I, I jumped in. I started doing it, getting in front of people, speaking, and I noticed a bunch of the people in the group were talking at this local, this local conference, uh, uh, the Twin Cities Code Camp. Uh, at that point, it was two days. So they had a lot of slots to fill, a free conference, and they had probably six or seven rooms going for two days. So 
lot of people, anyone who's wanted to do a talk signed up. And I noticed all my colleagues who I, would do, I was doing Toastmasters with signing up. I'm like, well, I can do that. So I just uh, found something that no one was talking about that I was working with, and I gave a talk on it. And it went pretty well. Most of the feedback was good. There were a couple of angry nerds on the feedback stuff, but that's how it goes. But I just improved and kept going at it and kept looking for bigger, bigger and bigger conferences in the region and now across the country. And hopefully this year, uh, you know, I'll get to Europe or Japan or something like that. That'd be awesome. So if you're listening to this and you're throwing a conference together and you'd like me to come talk, let me know. Yeah. Uh, same, same for me, especially if it's in Japan. Uh, well, I'm going, I'm going to try Swift in Tokyo, uh, in March, but I'm not speaking there, but I, but, uh, your, your point is, is a good one. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of conferences in iOS or any other technology, they have open calls for papers. And so if you want to speak at one, you know, come up with an idea and write a, write a proposal and, and send it in. And the worst that can happen is they say no. Right. But, uh, mm -hmm anybody can really participate in those if, if you feel like you've got something to contribute. You definitely, and you do. There's something that you do that no one else is know that no one else is working with or someone's going to find interesting. So don't think that you don't know something. Well, I don't know if I have a whole lot more to say about this, um, but I, I guess kind of my, my hope is that people listening are encouraged to find opportunities to share what you've learned with, with other people, whether it be newcomers uh, or kids or, uh, even ex experienced people that you know at, at Cocoa Heads or by talking at a conference, you've got something to contribute back. And that's really valuable for the other people around you in the community. But it, it I think, is also really valuable for you as a teacher or a speaker. So go out and do something. Uh, definitely. You think, is there anything else you think we should cover before we get to picks, James? No, I think we're good. Uh, let's go to the picks. Andrew, what do you have for us? Well, I have uh, two picks today, and they are—they're kind of well. My first pick is is actually a, an app, and it's called ADT Pro, and this is um, continuing my theme of the last few months, where I've been working on a bunch of old computers, uh, including a couple Apple IIs that I have. And uh, anyway, ADT Pro is a, is a program that runs on your Mac. It also runs on Linux and Windows, and it has a counterpart that runs on the Apple II. And it allows you to transfer files, transfer data between your Apple II and your modern computer using one of several different interfaces, including serial port or Ethernet, if you've got an Ethernet card in your Apple II. But uh, if you don't have those, it will even actually work with the built-in audio interface that Apple IIs had to save and load data from cassette tapes. So you hook up a couple of audio cables between your modern computer and your Apple II, and you can transfer data. And it even supports bootstrapping. So if you have an Apple II without disk drives or without any disks uh, to boot from, you can actually transfer an operating system over from your that you download from the internet from your modern computer without anything other than audio cables. So it's pretty cool. It's a fun project that obviously somebody that um, just loves the Apple II wrote uh, and it's, it's full featured and works quite well. So that's fun if, you, if you're getting into Apple II stuff. Um, and then my second pick is one that I think probably a lot of uh, Mac people know about, but I had I've had good experiences with them through the years, including in the last week or so, and that is uh, OWC, Otherworld Computing, at MacSales.com. Um, it's a good place to go if you're trying to upgrade your Mac, like with a new hard drive or get memory for your Mac or whatever. Um, you can just sort of be sure that they'll give you something that's actually going to work. And uh, I personally don't 
have the patience to kind of do all the research needed to to find good stuff out there in the big wide market of computer components i'm lazy that way so i like buying from them even though you pay a little extra but i got a solid state drive to put in an old iMac that I have um, this week and worked perfectly and did just what it was supposed to do and was very problem-free, so I like them. Those are my picks. All right, looking at my my pick, I found it. So I have one pick based on what we've been talking about today. You mentioned about how to get started with the conference talking, uh, speaking at a conference. Well, one of the first things you do is you create a an abstract and you submit it, which is an art form in all in itself. You, know, you want to get something out there that lets the conference organizers know, you know what you're talking about, but something that's interesting to the users. And there's a service out there, which I, I believe is free. It's called helpmeabstract.com. And there's some really solid speakers on here. People I've seen speak, people have done really cool things and you can submit your proposal and you'll get a review on it. They'll uh, walk you through it. So helpmeabstract.com. If you're thinking about uh, submitting to some of these conferences, uh, uh, check out this check out this site, and they'll give you good feedback. So that's my pick. And as a side note, so we're sitting here early 2017, and we're trying to get the schedule going for the rest of the year. We're, we're trying to think. We're trying to we're trying to fill out our schedule for the for the next year. We're trying to look for some cool guests. So if there's any people out there talking blogging or you think no cool things you'd like to have on the show let us know hit us up on twitter or you can find us on either one of us james andrew or the ifreaks twitter but yeah let us know who you'd like to us to have on the show who we can learn from and who who do you who, who you'd like to us to ask questions for and going along with the theme of this episode maybe that's you we we would love to have somebody who thinks they have a cool topic that they've learned a lot about and want to share with our audience on the show. Definitely, yeah. If you're hacking on a cool project, working with a third-party library that people don't really know about, whatever you're doing, um, let us know. So I think that's all we have for today. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.